Hey there, Shiro listeners, Saturn Dave here, reminding you that you must play Sega Saturn, and that it's contributions from listeners like you that help keep this and our other shows hosted and available on demand. In addition to our website, SegaSaturnShiro.com, where you can find all of the most up-to-date news and information from around the Sega Saturn scene. If you'd like to show your support and gain access to several perks, visit Patreon.com slash ShiroMediaGroup to become a Patreon supporter. If a monthly donation isn't possible, no worries. We still value your support in liking and sharing our content on social media and joining our Discord community to become a part of the Saturn conversation. Thank you for being a loyal listener and a part of this great community. And as always, Hey everyone, thanks for joining us at Editor's Corner. This is Saturn Dave. I've got Trainoco Pat with me here, and today our special guest is Joe, Sega RPG fan. How are you doing, Joe? I'm doing all right, Dave. How are you? Doing really good. Good to have you on. Um, I've actually been really wanting to get you on for a long time, because I feel like a lot has... You've been bugging me for a while now. I have been bugging you for a while. I've probably been bugging you more than folks like John Linneman or Audi Sorley, because... I don't know. I'm a nerd and I really like the Saturn online stuff and you're kind of like the king of that. King of the Saturn online. <laughs> That's just kind of, you fell into that role uh, several years ago and, and here we are. Yeah, by, by default. By default. We kind of, I want to talk about all that for sure and like everything that's happened in between. Um, how far back should we go? I, I was telling Pat, like, I guess if we start with just Sega themselves. Yeah, I guess the biggest was what's brought us to this point of where... We were playing online in 2023 as of this recording, I guess. I mean, several individuals in this community, their focus is to kind of resurrect capabilities of these machines or resurrect certain games and make them playable for folks. And your thing has always been, you know, like bringing the online experience back and hopefully like folks experienced it back in the day, aside from like dialing into like a third party server or something like that. Right. But before we get into all that, I wanted to talk about, because I know you have insights on some of this stuff. Like, for example, Sega, back with the Genesis Mega Drive, they they had this thing called the Mega Modem, right? As far as you're aware, was that like their first attempt at like online communication with consoles? As far as I know, yeah, the Mega Modem was the first. That was Japan only. X-Band, right? Yes. So Mega Modem was actually released by Sega. It was... Japan only. It was a really slow modem. Really slow. Yeah, it was like 2400 baud. Wow. Slow. Oh, wow. And it, it connected to the serial port on the back of like the early yeah. Model 1 Genesis, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think you said something about like how simple it operated. It, it basically like, isn't the serial port on the back of the Genesis basically like a glorified controller port? Yeah, it's, it's like a third controller port, but the controller ports do have the ability to run basically as a serial port. Oh. And there actually is a really cool uh, homebrew program out there where you can connect the second controller port to this program and you can send text back and forth. I mean, it's... Really? That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's it, it's something, but it, it's cool that it works. So for everyone listening that doesn't know, what is your background? Like, how did you get into all this stuff? Are you a developer, programmer? No. <laughs> no, just a tinkerer. <laughs> I, I'm a, a tinkerer and tenacious problem solver. Right. 
I agree. You and Knight of Dragon have that in common. It's like if there's a problem that just you're like, I have to solve this problem. It is, it is surprising though, because usually people that are in that uh, usually have like backgrounds and like you know comp sci or like work in sort of the industry in a way. So it's cool to see somebody that doesn't really do any of that in their actual like occupation do it in their free time. You know? Yeah. I mean, when it comes to like Python scripting, like I do do a little bit of that in my work, mm-hmm. um, but. Yeah, that's that's kind of the extent. Is I I write Python scripts once in a while. Um, I do a lot of work with databases and data telemetry mm-hmm. things like that. So sometimes I need a script to do some component of that. So I'll write it. Um, but you just got into Python like a couple of years ago, right? Yeah, like in the last year and a half or so. If we rewind all the way back to 2016, Dreamcast talk servers. Like, what were you into then? Like. Back then, Pat and I were just starting this podcast. My passion for Saturn was getting reignited, you know, probably 2014, 2015. Pat and I found each other. We started a podcast at that very same time. I was like, I had a NetLink card and I was like, is there any way to bring this back? Because, you know, like we did the PC to DC server with the, with the Dreamcast. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I wonder if anybody's working on this, you know? So I don't know, a couple Google searches brought me to like some of the stuff that Zayden was working on. And I guess it's still thinking 1999, you know, he had a video or two up about this VoIP thing, you know? So, and that's kind of how we came to you through all of that. So how did you get pulled into all of that and like trying to bring Saturn online back? Well, if you want to back it up even further. um... Yeah, let's go as far back as, as we can. So back in like the early mid 2000s, I was really into Dreamcast and specifically playing Dreamcast online. I played a lot of mm-hmm. PSO and that was like the first online game I got really into. And I just thought it was fascinating. This this ability to to play with other people online. We're talking about originally, right? Like over a phone line? The yeah, Dreamcast, like dial dial up real real dial up. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not the not the resurrected servers, but like you're right you on talking- the on the the actual Sega servers. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you were playing that. It had cross compatibility with like Japanese players as well, like through their like emoticon system. Mm-hmm. That, that was pretty phenomenal too. So you'd be playing it with folks from all over the world. Were you on a, the 56k dial-up, or were you, did you have like a broadband adapter? At first, I just had dial-up. Eventually, I did buy the the broadband adapter. Um, but you know, it was the early 2000s. We had dial-up in the house, so it wasn't a big deal. Right. Um, I got into that pretty late, actually. So it was after the U.S. servers had already shut down. And so I imported the PAL copy of the game and played on the, the European servers. Oh, that was still up nice. at the time? The European yeah, those, still up? those were up for a while, I think until 2006 or seven. It was up for a while. Dang. Did you ever get like into the GameCube side of it? Like the, I think it was on GameCube and Xbox as well. Yeah, for the Bluebird stuff. Um, I did GameCube a little bit, not on the official servers. I played on some of the, the fan servers once those got created. Right. Okay, so Dreamcast, online, playing Fantasy Star, and did that somehow connect you with folks like Zaiden? So that is kind of what kickstarted my my interest in online gaming. Right. And then, you know, you talked about the, the PC DC server. Um, you know, I messed with setting that up and for folks who don't know, that's like where you would take like an old Windows XP machine, right? And you would mm-hmm. basically make some registry edits and you'd have to use like a win modem 
uh, right? Yeah, well, it, it didn't have to be a win modem. It could be any anything. But yeah, you you basically uh, had your Dreamcast dial into a computer modem, mm -hmm. and then that would route your traffic onto the internet. So if you didn't have an actual dial-up connection, that's a way you could use like a broadband connection to to get online without having to have a broadband adapter. Right, but not all Dreamcast modems would work with that exploit, right? I, I seem to remember one of my Dreamcast modems would, and then one of them wouldn't. Maybe it was like a blind dial thing, or I forget what it was, but... It was a line voltage thing. So there oh. were some modems where you could just hook the line straight from the modem into your PC and it worked fine. Some mm -hmm. of them needed a, a line voltage inducer. Right, which is like making it like a telephone line. I remember that was a big thing right then. That was my biggest hurdle with setting up is that you had to like, it's like, oh yeah, you can make one yourself. You just have to like do all the soldering and stuff. I'm like, oh, um, I'm good on that. Like get a like a 12 volt battery or something. I'm like, right. Uh, I think I'll wait. You didn't have to do any soldering. It was a little bit. There was like a cottage industry that was born out of that with like these Netopia routers or whatever. <laughs> Folks would like charge an arm and a leg for these routers that would essentially have like a phone. Oh, yeah, that, was, that was like the next thing. Right. People discovered the Netopia router could be used as a dial-in server. At one point I had like a telco grade thing I bought off eBay mm -hmm. that had a legit modem bank in there and it was made for like small ISPs to have like dial up customers. So I like messed with that. At, at one point I even had an ISDN modem in there and an ISDN simulator and I had all this stuff like Frankenstein together so that I could get like a true 56K download connection on the Dreamcast, which is the only way you could do that. Wow. That is. Yeah. Otherwise, you're capped at 33.6. I'm embarrassed to say that I'm jealous. <laughs> that sounds pretty rad. What year was that around? Oh. I mean, this is going way back, though. Like, at least 10 years. That was probably around 2010 or 11 when I was messing with that. Yeah. Um, you were way ahead. <laughs> that whole process is where I started learning a lot about modems and how modems work. Right. Mm. Um, like the way that they dial out and send little instructions and stuff like that. Yeah, all the all the AT commands and what they do. I started looking into that because I had to... Like a whole language. I had to mess with a bunch of that. So I got, I got really familiar with that. And that, you know, if we fast forward a little bit, that helped a lot with this tunnel project. Right. So huge Sega fan. I mean, it's in your name, Sega RPG fan. Huge Dreamcast online fan you're getting into modems and everything the next obvious conclusion is you netlink right you're like okay so how do we crack this nut at that time there was was it the dreamcast talk servers where like where everybody was talking yeah or? the forums yeah pretty much um did you solicit that or was it someone else who was like this is a problem and you responded uh Zidon posted originally okay i mean i had had a netlink for years right at that point um because yeah with the dreamcast online stuff i was started seeing the netlink and i was like oh that's really cool i gotta get that you didn't play netlink originally at retail i did oh you did uh i mean not in like the 90s but like i kind of was thinking about this and pinpointing the the exact year and i think 2003 is when i got it because i knew i could drive that's when I got my license. So <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I, I got two Saturns, two Netlinks, a legit copy of Virtual On Netlink, and I convinced a friend to to play with me over the the phone line. Nice. So I took one of my Saturns, drove it over to his house, <laughs> plugged it all in, and I only had one copy of Virtual On. So I did like the swap trick on on his system oh. mm. and drove back to my house. And then we were trying to like get connected and at some point he ended up 
turning his system off or something like that oh, because gosh. of the swap <laughs> trick. Like he couldn't figure out how to do the swap trick again. So I'm like, oh my god. Oh, oh okay. my god. I'll that drive back fun. over to your house. <laughs> <laughs> I drove back to his house, got it up and running again, drove back to my house, and we actually got a game of virtual ongoing and it was that's pretty exciting. Uh, it was it was awesome. It was like playing locally. It was it was so cool. Now this was back when like real analog phone lines were still pretty available, right? Yeah, I mean in 2003 people still had phones. Right. VoIP hadn't really taken over in terms of like anything that's a phone line is essentially digital now, you know. Well, even even then, I mean technically the phone lines were were digital, um but it wasn't VoIP. Yeah. I mean, if you had two people that have like old telephone lines in their house, like two dial-up modems, you could still today call them up and play. Like as a 2023, yeah, yeah. have all the equipment there. Yeah. As long as no part of that ends up being VoIP, it's it's once stuff gets on the internet that your latency and everything just goes out the window. And that's all because of audio compression, right? Like when it goes out onto the internet, it, there's like... No. No? Well, I, I mean, yes and no. By, so like a default VoIP adapter is going to use some compression but most of them you can set to uncompressed and it's using the exact same quality as like a telco how they're converting to to digital ah the big problem is the latency and the jitter and all the buffers along the way that's that's why voip is just terrible for this but nonetheless that was the in i don't know 2015 or 16 whenever you guys were starting to look at solutions to this problem that was the first go-to right was okay well we don't have real analog phone lines anymore or at least you know yeah by that point most people didn't have them unless you just happen to be like in a rural area or you're just lucky you know and there are some folks that are lucky i think trekkies has access to a real analog phone line uh, there's a few people in the community yeah there's there's still some companies i think years ago i remember there was a a way that you could clearly get free uh, 56k dial-up for like a time. There's like some weird service thing we have to sign up for. It. It's it's really strange. I it was too much work for me, so I never did it. And for folks who don't know, we're not just talking about a phone line. We're talking about a POTS line, a plain old telephone service, which is yeah, it almost doesn't exist these days. Most companies are will tell you you're getting a phone line, but it's really VoIP. And they they even they try to get rid of your analog phone line like mm -hmm. in my house i had a copper line running to my house and i got fiber and they came out they installed the fiber they cut the copper out they cut the copper so it was, it was like oh, wow yeah so they're they're aggressive they they just don't want to maintain this old infrastructure they'll get rid of it right wow that's a shame it's, it's a real shame that's like it's like even then like in i think it was 2008 or 9 i was looking into it it was like hella complicated then i can't imagine what it must feel like now to even try to like laughably attempt that. But the whole story about you driving back and forth from your friend's house, <laughs> that tells me everything I need to know about your level of determination <laughs> when it comes to solving these problems. Because yeah, no, if, if, if I, if I want to do something, if I want to solve do a problem, it. I, I'm going to do it. And he's going to get the center online one way or another. Some hell or high water. It can drive people in my life nuts. I'll say that. I guess it just, I was searching at the same time that you guys were doing that. So you and Zayden had kind of like banded together. He's in Texas, you're in the Midwest, and you guys are spending hours back and forth troubleshooting this and trying to get Saturn Netlink working over VoIP. And it involved using some like very proprietary Linksys VoIP adapters, you know, or at least these were the ones that you guys were 
testing. So these are the ones that you mm -hmm. recommend folks get. And you, you had to mess with all the settings and they had to be unlocked. And so it was around this time that we had you on the podcast. You were, I believe, episode five of our original podcast all the way back in 2017. Because again, I had been searching on the internet. I I was like, okay, it is possible. Somebody's working on this. This is amazing. We, we can get Saturn online and we can actually like uh, feature it on the podcast. So yeah, we had you on all the way back then. The audio quality was really bad, <laughs> which is another reason why I wanted to have this chat because I kind of wanted to take folks through that story all the way up to now and everything that has come from it. So yeah, and have a definitive version of it that we can just send people. And of course, going through all the new stuff that's happened since then, because it's a, uh, it's like, it's like we went from like, you know, banging uh, rocks against a stone wall to uh, right. actually running bicycles at this point. Like that's, there's been evolution. <laughs> yes. It feels like 2001, a space odyssey. So before we get to present day, take us through that story a little bit with you and Cameron and establishing that whole Netlink zone and uh, all the VoIP stuff. Yeah. How'd that all come about? Um, so for anyone listening, Cameron and Zayden, they're the same person. So sometimes we refer to them interchangeably. Um, right. Yeah. So he first posted on, on Dreamcast Talk, uh, just kind of, I think, originally looking into like, oh, we got this DreamPie. Can we use, uh, can we get Netlink working on this or whatever? So then I, I responded and I was like, no, you can't for various reasons. But something I've been wanting to try is uh, using VoIP. And so there was this uh, Netlink League website. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of looking around an old post there and people are like, VoIP is really hit or miss. Most of the time it, it doesn't work at all. What was the Netlink League? Uh, it was a forum where people could like arrange Netlink matches. And there were people there already trying VoIP? Yeah. They were just using well, like it a was, base. It was mostly people who like didn't have a landline, right? But they had VoIP service. Okay. And so they were trying it over that, and it was just not wow, not really working. I'm surprised they got it to work at all. It it didn't. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, just like doing some digging into it, I was like, well, if they're using a service, like they're they're locked down, they can't change any of the the settings and their their adapters. They're probably using high compression, high buffers. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, what's what's the cheapest, like, fully unlocked VoIP adapter I can get? So that was these little Linksys boxes. At the time, you could get them for, like, 15 bucks on eBay. Mm -hmm. um, super cheap. So I started digging into that, and I was like, okay, let's strip down as much of this as we can. And so, I, yeah, I responded to, to Zayden, connected up with him, and I was like, hey, are you interested in trying this? And he was like, yeah, I'll, I'll buy one. Um, so he got one. I got one. And then, yeah, just started that long back and forth trial and error process of change this setting, see what it does, change this, see what it does. And eventually we got to a point where we're like, this works reliably. Um, yeah, so that was, that was something where I happened to connect up with someone who was just as determined as me to get this thing working. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, we put, put a lot of hours into it and... And then did anybody else come into that at the time? Like anybody else in those Dreamcast talk get involved or it was literally just you two? It was just us. And his focus was always kind of like bringing back the, the Netlink zone, right? Like building that site and making it work. Uh, not, not originally. Um, yeah, once we got it working over VoIP, then he was really like, oh, I, I bet we could bring these, these sites back. And he started digging into it. Mm -hmm. um, he's got a little... Not exactly sure what his background is, but he does some like web stuff. So it was 
something that he could he could do. Mm -hmm. And so I'm assuming folks know a lot about the Saturn, but uh, essentially in 1996, Sega put out a modem that would allow you to direct dial, you know, opponents across the country, right? This was based on Catapult. This was based on their technology, right? The X-Band service that had previously come out on the Genesis and the uh, Super Nintendo. And then, uh, so Sega, basically, they just kind of neutered it. They, they took out a lot of the X-Band uh, matching and then just kind of made it like a direct dial. You know, you would dial someone else's phone number directly. Uh, so you didn't need to subscribe to a service. You didn't need to pay for like a, a, a phone card or anything like that. You basically just, how exactly did that work though? Cause I did not have a net link back in the day. So I didn't know, like, did you dial into a server and get someone else's phone number? How did that, how exactly did that work? The way they had it set up for the United States is they expected you to, um, so every, every game has a built-in browser. Mm -hmm. um, so they expected you to, connect with the built-in browser to the internet. So you would have a, a dial-up internet connection. Mm -hmm. It would connect you to the Netlink zone, which then had a IRC chat server. Ah. And then that's where you could find other players and exchange information and then Got dial it. each other. Okay. So that's, they, they expected you to do your own matching. Matchmaking. Right. Okay. But so you which would. Which is different than how it was on Genesis, Super Nintendo, and then even how they had it set up in, in Japan. Japan. Yeah. In Japan, they just, they went full stop for the X-Band experience. And they had, you had these little cards, right? You had the little credit card that you would pop into the side of the modem that would, you would top up credits or something like that at your Lawson's or whatever. I don't, I don't know exactly where you would do that, but essentially you would top up your credits and then you just stick the card in there. And the modem would detect, like, okay, you've had this this much time or whatever, or this many connections. I think it was. It was by connection, yeah. So, where does that leave us? So, Dreamcast Talk forums. You guys put in countless hours into getting this thing up and running, and I think that's when we found you. Uh, and K Kona, uh, a Murder of Crows. He and I did kind of like we we bought the <laughs> we bought the Linksys uh, boxes and we set everything up and. It was a little janky, uh, but I think, you know, you, you recommended uh, Sega Rally. That's like one of the most tolerant games with the VoIP. And that worked out pretty well for us. I mean, you would get like the screen would just freeze every once in a while. But for the most part, we were able to finish a match, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that was like a really nice little proof of concept. And from there, you basically just spent the next year or so kind of refining the settings. Like, I, I don't know. At, at one point, you kind of left it alone and th but then you came back to it and you were messing around with the jitter settings and stuff like that and trying to trying to make it a little bit better and i think for a while uh there were several folks in the community that just kind of bought into it like they'd heard the podcast they'd seen like some of the video demonstrations they bought into the voip setup and uh you had folks like uh dan over in new york uh retrospectors who kind of did several video demonstrations of uh saturn online via voip yeah he got really into it he thought it was really cool well i mean it, it was i mean it is really cool it is really cool it was albeit your mileage would vary based on what game and so, some games were just not even on the table like virtual on didn't work very well over voip correct really slow yeah yeah some of the games are really slow like the only ones that i would say were playable would be sega rally daytona and duke nukem everything else was really too slow to play that's interesting much, like something like shadow of the tusk that wasn't even playable at that time oh wow mm -hmm. yeah 
I mean, it, it, I guess it makes sense that the fighting games wouldn't work because they really are like twitchy, like immediate response uh, and yeah. reaction kind well, of. Well, the initially when when this all got set up, it was just the U.S. Netlink games that were working. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because of of course, for people that don't know, the U.S. Netlink didn't use servers or any like the stuff that mm -hmm. Japan did. It was just direct dial. So technically yep. speaking, there was never any sort of the shut off. So theoretically, the Saturn is still online per se. It's just like, you know, you just dial local people. It, it all comes down to right. who has an analog telephone. But theoretically, you could pop in any game, have another dude call you or wait, and you could technically still play it online to this day. True. That's a good point because, you know, people talk about these games as being online, and it's like you're communicating over a phone line on a line, I guess. <laughs> um, but, you know, at, at their heart, there, there's no... Right. Like, as originally designed, there's no internet involved. This is not dial-up internet. This is not anything. It's a modem calling another modem and establishing a direct connection between them over a phone line. I was going to say, you can even do it locally. Like, you can even, like, just, like, get a phone system and do... I mean, that's what we did at uh, Pure GE. You can just, like... Line sim. Telephone line simulator. Yeah, and theoretically, you can just have a LAN experience, per se. True. Just yep. by doing that. Yeah, over the years, that's been... In terms of like YouTube and folks online, you'd have either the folks who bragged that, well, I still have an analog phone line, so we could still do it, and and that's rare, but it would happen. You'd have a you'd have some folks who could you know post videos to YouTube showing off the fact that they were still able to get online, or you'd have you know various folks doing the line simulator thing where Pat said basically it's almost like a link cable, a Tizen link cable essentially. You're just you have both. Uh, Saturn side by side in the same room and folks would use that at conventions and stuff you know as a way of demonstrating Netlink or or in their living room just kind of as a party trick but the fact is that what Joe was trying to do was make it accessible for everyone now you know because most of us are limited to digital phone lines that that aren't going to work or you know just basically internet nowadays I do want to say though when you were talking about the original implementation of Netlink the fact that you would log on to their server, you, you would log on to the Netlink zone, that part of it was online, right? You know, the fact that you would use the Planet Web browser or, yeah. or whatever, or CSK's like built-in browser, uh, essentially that part of it is online. But then once you do the direct dial, then it really is just like communicating over a phone line. Yeah, and he, even the, the online portion is not strictly necessary. Like if you know someone's phone number that you want to play with, that's all you need. Right. So that kind of brings us to uh, the point where you figured that, okay, if none of that is necessary, then that means that the Japanese X-Band games could theoretically be playable without all that, that layer of you know, servers and matching and all that stuff. And this, I think, was at the same time that you were learning Python, you decided to patch out those Japanese X-Band games, yeah? This was a little before that, actually. Um, so yeah, once we got the, the U.S. games working on VoIP, I started looking into the the Japanese games and what like what's what's different about them. Um, but like I don't know, I'm I'm not a game hacker. I I mm -hmm. I can load something up in an emulator, look at RAM, but it, it means nothing to me. Like so, I I'm basically just like looking through the file structure, looking at file names, and trying to figure out what does what that way. And like, there's only so much you could do if that's you know the the ceiling of your your skill but i so i i tried a few things like i tried um swapping in some of the the files from the the us netlink games into the the japanese games and it ultimately just just didn't work but you know there was 
there was information out there that there was a developer disk that had Netlink documentation and sample files and things like that. Uh, but at that time, it wasn't dumped online anywhere. Hmm. But if, you know, fast forward a few years, it did get dumped online. And then that's when I started digging into it again. And that's probably around the time where, um, yeah, like where I got more active with it and was posting stuff about the, the old method. But yeah, again, it was just me poking around in the file structure and seeing what makes sense and swapping stuff around and hoping it works. And it actually did. That's crazy. <laughs> so you were just, you just kind of like rebuilt the, the image, but with, uh, with the developer disc content. Yeah. Cause the developer disc had all of the, it was basically an earlier build than what became the U.S. Netlink. Mm-hmm. It was essentially the Japanese uh, driver's OS translated to English and then made direct dial possible. I don't know how you say that. Okay. Like, like it was meant for like developers to, to try things out. So it had direct dial capability. So once, once I realized that those were very similar to the Japanese OS and drivers, mm-hmm. swapped them over and got it working, got direct dial enabled in the, the Japanese games. Yeah, and that's about the time you reached out and were like, hey, burn this and try this. You know, it was like Puyo Puyo Sun, I think, was one of the first ones. Uh, and I was just like blown away. I was like, oh, God, this is amazing. Because <laughs> that's like, that's a, that's a handful of games, you know, that were locked away. You know, I'm not trying to boost your ego or anything, but not only were you bringing back Netlink functionality, but you're also kind of resurrecting these games that we couldn't play, you know, or at least we couldn't play them online, you know. So what did we get out of that? We got Puyo Puyo Sun, we got Virtua Fighter Remix, Daytona Circuit Edition, I think. Uh, there were a few others. There was like Puzzle, uh, Bobble, Puzzle Bobble, right? Decathlete. Decathlete, uh, yeah. Worldwide Soccer 98, uh, the Japanese Daytona. Or, yeah. yeah, Japanese Daytona, Japanese Sega Rally, Japanese Virtual. Shadows of the Tusk didn't Shadows work yet. Tusk. It did. Oh, it did. Not over VoIP, though. It was very slow. <laughs> yeah, so... That's, so that's the whole thing with, with VoIP, is everything was so slow. It's so like, yeah, slow. it works, but is it enjoyable? Not mm. really. I'm just surprised that, you know, with, with Shadow of the Tusk, it should be that the, the speed shouldn't be an issue because it's turn-based, so... I was surprised it'd be slow. Is it just like a lot of like even was it just even with just little movements? It's just a little bit hard to it's just incredibly slow. Yeah. Well, so the the thing is like even that and like decathletes like decathlete there's only a few events where you're on the screen at the same time as as the opponent. But the games like regardless, just the way they're built, they try to stay in sync with each other. Mm-hmm. So even though it's turn based, they're constantly trying to stay in sync. And because of that, they they run slow because it's mm. VoIP and everything runs slow. So regardless of what game, it just it right. ran slow. So theoretically, if you were making your own homebrew game, right, you could write it so that it has a lot more tolerance for latency, right? But that's not what they did. They they specifically wrote these games to be very intolerant of latency because they weren't expecting latency. You know, they were expecting a, a live phone line connection, right? So. So essentially, you have to work with, around that, you know, that that intolerance of latency. And uh, so that's why certain games just would not yeah, that, tolerate it. That whole thing goes back to the the Genesis and Super Nintendo right. X-Band, where they were 
essentially hacking in um, this this modem capability, and they had to keep both instances in lockstep. They had to be synced, um, and that's even more intolerant of of latency. Yeah. But you know that was sort of the architecture they were working with, the framework, and then they ported that over to Saturn, so it still maintained that need to keep everything in sync. And isn't it true that in Japan, their modem was like 14.4 kilobits per second. And then in the U.S., we had a 28.8 because Internet browsing was going to be a huge focus. They were going to even try to position it as kind of like a cheap computer way to get on the Internet, like an appliance. So they needed that faster modem. But at the same time, does this quote unquote online gaming even take advantage of that extra 28.8 bit rate? Or does it all basically just cap at 14? It's it's all 14. I had assumed for a long time that the U.S. modem would go at 28.8, but I tested that assumption, and it, it's wrong. It's all 14.4. Yeah, but it didn't need to be... I think they explained in that documentary that Wrestles With Gaming did that it didn't need to be able to download a ton of data. You know, it, you know, it just needed yeah, to it, download small bits of data very it's quickly. It's not pushing a lot of data. It's, right. it's very little data. Sending button presses, essentially, or at least that's what the yeah. Genesis and Super Nintendo was. And it, as you said, they kind of patched or hacked those games after the fact, almost like a game genie. You know, it was like they were modifying the memory in certain places to basically trick the game into thinking that a second player was inputting yeah so yeah it's those i think they're sending something like four bytes per frame or something like that it's right like nothing. Yeah, it's kind of insane seeing the, that documentary speak that how crazy it was what they did with that technology mm -hmm. and the ability just to trick it to be a second player but i mean it's probably not as easy with the saturn to do that though Nobody thought it was possible, though. Not even Sega or Nintendo themselves. They were just... Nobody internally was able to figure that out. But these guys did it. You know, these guys in uh, Cupertino or whatever. They were in the Valley, basically. But essentially, yeah, we fast forward to... You patched these games. They worked. We now had a handful, 14, I think, of Saturn, quote-unquote, online playable games. But playable is, you know, based on your interpretation, <laughs> because as you said, some of these just were not good, fun experiences, you know, so either we let it lie there and just kind of take what we can get, like, okay, we're always going to be playing Sega Rally and it's always going to be, you know, a little glitchy, or it's at this point that you decided to essentially build a new way, like a tunnel. Like, how did that even come about? You mentioned not having a, like a lot of programming experience so how what caused you to take on such a task well so around the time that i patched the, the japanese games i got in touch with tommy doyle he's one of the guys who was working on resurrecting the expand like the super nintendo genesis stuff so he's working on that oh okay that project uh so he zayden and i were kind of you know bouncing ideas around and we all kind of knew that a tunnel solution was going to be the only viable thing. The VoIP just, there's buffering and whatnot that you, no matter what settings you change, you can't get rid of it. There's just this built-in latency that kills the connection. Mm -hmm. um, Not to mention so, the setup is pretty, it was pretty intense as well. Like I remember that it's like a whole guide, so you have to get a, a router and stuff like that. You have to do all these settings. And you're asking everybody to get these Linksys uh, devices that are continuing to be 
more rare and <laughs> less available and even they're going it's like up... they have to do all this and more out of date more of a security vulnerability oh sure yeah and then they yeah. have to be unlocked too so you'd get people buying them and it turns out oops it's not unlocked you know so the tunnel was really going to be the only solution that was going to be doable sustainable for everyone yeah and so tommy he has a development background he works in the games industry um, so he was interested in trying to get something working. But the big problem with getting a tunnel working is one side has to be dialed. And what that means is you have to have a ring signal sent to the modem so the modem knows the line is ringing, pick it up and answer. And that's just really hard to fake. Um, so like something like the Dream Pie, like that's your Dreamcast or whatever calling in that's easy to fake you don't need any ringing or anything like that it's the other side so throughout the years there's a lot of people saying like it's, can can we make this work on dream pie why can't we make this work on dream pie we got this thing that works for dreamcast it should work for saturn and it was always that sticking point and that's still kind of a sticking point for the, the x-band genesis super nintendo yeah i found a really hacky workaround for that for them right now but um they still have to use VoIP, essentially, to a degree, right? There's, there's, a, there's a VoIP adapter still needed to send the ring signal. Because the ring signal is like a 90-volt AC at, like, 40 hertz or something. Like, it's a very specific mm -hmm. thing that you got to send to the modem. So the modem knows that it's, it's ringing. There's a whole circuit that is a ring detect circuit. Hmm. So if you have two modems connected directly to each other, one modem can't send that to another one. They're, they're not built that way. That's something that would always come over the phone line from the telephone company. Okay. So the advantage we had on Saturn is the ability to patch and rebuild the games. So I started digging into the, the game files as best I could. Again, I'm not, my skill level there is, is very limited, but I do know how modems work. And so I'm digging through there and I find that all of the modem initialization strings, they're all there, plain text, which I can understand. Okay. I start messing with that and then messing with the, essentially the solution I ended up finding is so the side that's waiting for a call, mm -hmm. instead of sitting and waiting for a call, I realized that all it's actually waiting for is the word ring. Really? Um, yeah. So like a modem, like if it's connected to a serial port, you got that ring detect circuit. When the ring detect circuit detects a ring signal back on the, the serial line in plain text, by default, most modems will just send plain text ring. <laughs> so that's funny. That is funny. What I what I had the waiting side do is when it initializes the modem, instead of sitting and waiting for a ring, it dials out. So it'll dial out to something like a dream pie. Mm -hmm. So it can establish that connection and then the dream pie can just send ring over the serial port. The game thinks it got a ring from the ring detect circuit, answers the modem, and boom, that side is taken care of. Um, so yeah, once once I figured that out, Tommy was really excited. He's like, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna build something." So he coded up a, a proof of concept tunnel, uh, and we tried it out, and it didn't work super great. <laughs> we were actually surprised it didn't work that that well. Huh. Um, but yeah, he was gonna refine it. But circumstances being what they were, he ended up getting a new job. He moved to a different state um, and just got super busy. So he wasn't able to you know, continue on with that. Mm -hmm. um, so that sat for a few years. But that ability to dial out and just get 
the word ring over the serial port, I, that was there. That was in the patched versions I put out. So they were basically sitting there waiting for a tunnel to be written. Okay. Um, so you're saying that essentially the benefit that you had was the ability to patch the games so that they would behave like you wanted them to. Mm-hmm. Is that theoretically the way forward for like Genesis and SNES? Like if somebody figured out a way to patch those games, is that just like too far out of reality or is that like what folks are working on with that? No, I think it is possible on that side. Uh I don't have the ability to do that because those patches are all written in assembly and that's way beyond me. Right. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe somebody will be able to figure out it. It works. It works a little differently because like I said, on, on Saturn, you have the initialization strings right there in, in plain text. You don't have that on Super Nintendo X band. They're dealing with like right. actual modem register reads and writes. Mm. So it's a little different, mm-hmm. but I, I, I still think there's a way that someone smart could get it to work. Yeah. I mean, they were able to write the original Netlink in a way for sort of X band stuff back in the day for Super Nintendo. And the Mega Drive, there should be a way to be able to get what you're doing going on that. So there, there's yeah. there, there has to be a way, just a lot of time commitment and trying to figure out how to get to that level. Like maybe it's down to like flashing the firmware somehow of the of those X-Band modems. So they, they have the ability to change the OS and change the, the patches. I feel like between the two of them, it should mm-hmm. be possible. I think mm-hmm. just lacking a wicked smart assembly person. Okay. Not going to be me. Not going to be you. Above, above your pay grade. Definitely. <laughs> okay, so you figured all of that out, and you were able to get, at that time, you were learning Python, so you were able to write up a tunnel in Python that like worked in the... It, the tunnel started out as just like a script that folks could download and run on their computers, correct? Yeah, so after Tommy kind of dropped off the scene, that, that mm-hmm. thing sat for maybe two years or so mm-hmm. and at that time i started playing a lot more with dan retrospectors he was mm-hmm. he was really into it which like sidebar um he helped me test all the the japanese stuff when that was nice. first going and he was even before that and like i remember he was like super interested in it, and i'm like oh, this guy's gonna lose interest in like two months like, mm-hmm. once he realizes how, how crappy it is and it's like he stuck with it for <laughs> through through the dark <laughs> ages of voip <laughs> yeah i was like god bless you dan yeah shouts to dan retrospectors check out his channel I, it's true because like i kind of wrote it off too after our first little rendezvous with it and i was like okay this is kind of like the ceiling of what this is capable of and it's a cool party trick but it's not like feasible in, in terms of like building an online community around something that's so janky and it's so proprietary and what it requires people to do like how many people were going to get that set up you know even as simple as it is now, people still find it like a barrier to entry, you know, yeah. but it was really, if it's any more than like two button clicks and a $10 purchase, most people are going to be like, no, no, <laughs> too much. Too yeah. much. <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, there, there are still dedicated people out there that, you know, went through yeah. the dark ages like that. They went through doing the VoIP server, setting that up, mm-hmm. debugging that thing. I, I know I did like that was, uh, yep. Uh, that was a bit painful. I mean, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was, but it's still like a lot of debugging. But this this tunnel thing, because when that come out came out, I was like, another thing we have to do. And it's like, how much is this going to be? And it's like, oh, just change right. the setting in the router, hit the thing, and it's like it connects pretty pretty reliably. I don't. I think I've never really had many issues trying to get the to be able to call or get called with the tunnel method. So 
That said, this new tunnel script that Joe wrote, it did require the addition of a new piece of hardware to this little recipe. And that was this little USB modem, because you still have to have a modem, right? Uh, for the Netlink modem to communicate with your PC. So, oh, that modem already existed with the DreamPie, didn't it? Yeah, so the that that's what the DreamPie had been using. This this USB modem was already a requirement for for DreamPie. Right. And I had DreamPie because I'm into Dreamcast online. Oh, okay. And the ultimate goal was always to get it working on DreamPie. DreamPie. Um. Yeah. So like that was my end goal initially. It was it was just on the the PC because it's easier for me to to write stuff on exactly. PC okay. Than on the trying to integrate into the the DreamPie script, but. Mm-hmm. Um, just backing up a little bit to to how that got started. Okay. Um, it was actually starting to to play more, especially with Dan, and we were playing a bunch of virtual on, and I was just getting fed up with it. I'm like, this this is so slow. I, you know, virtual on is like it's a game of timing. Mm-hmm. You know, is is how I look at it a lot, and it's like you, you time your attacks, and it's like with with how slow it runs on VoIP, that, that's completely thrown out the window, and it just becomes a game of luck. Hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's me and Dave had that because I think we played that back when the the VoIP adapter was a thing, and I think we barely could get through a game on that. I think. Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah, so was, many free, so many freezes. You know, at, at some point, it would just you would desync and it would disconnect altogether. So yeah, it was yeah, frustrating. Like, let's, play, let's go back to Puro Puro, Dave. But Dan was persistent, and he kept asking you to to do matches and stuff, probably because he was also creating content for the for the YouTube channel, right, and doing demonstrations, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so so you got fed up, and you decided to write this tunnel. The impetus was like DreamPie exists, and it's actually quite good. How can we get that to work for the Netlink? Yeah, and like by that point, I had been doing more more Python, and I was like, well, nobody's just gonna step in and write this if it's gonna mm-hmm be written it's got to be me i might as well give it a shot and my goal at the beginning was just get to proof of concept or get it like you know 90 percent of the way there and hopefully someone else who's smarter than me can look at it and be like oh okay let me take it the extra you know 10 20 percent and let's get this working right but it i ended up just sticking with it and like you, you guys were there. I, I released different versions, and mm-hmm. um, yes, I sunk a lot of time into it. Like because because I'm not a a coder. Like what would take someone maybe like 15 minutes takes me two hours. Or you know, I've I've gotten better, but you know, mm-hmm. it would take me like two hours of troubleshooting to figure out why isn't this working? Why isn't this working? Right. And um, I know you you and Knight would, would talk about it a lot. The one thing that you did have up your sleeve was like that understanding of like the AT commands and stuff, like the understanding of how telephone communication works. That would often inform a lot of the work that you did. Yeah, I mean, that, that was big for getting the initial connections established. And then uh, later on, like the, the tuning to get rid of all the little hiccups and spikes, like that was all due to the modems so Mm -hmm. there's different modem commands that set things before they even connect now in Mm -hmm. the script and so that's that's how it's been able to get as smooth as it is now 
So like at the genesis of this tunnel, I believe it was the requirement was that everyone was required to download like a distribution of Python. First of all, you had to like download Python, mm -hmm. you know, there were several steps and then you just removed more and more to the point where it just became very simple. Like you even wrote in the ability for the, the script to update itself automatically when, when you launch it, like it, you hit enter and it downloads an update, whatever you push out to yeah. it, you know, it was it was basically like me getting annoyed at different things and then being like, how can I solve this? Right. So like the, the updates thing, like when you first start the script, it checks if there are any updates to the script and if there are, it downloads them mm -hmm. and tells you to restart if you need to restart because the main script got replaced. Um, so that was because like, you know, we were still testing stuff and I didn't want to be like, okay, here's version 3.1.2 to grab that oh you're using the wrong version or i have like a little incremental update i don't want to push a new one out so i was just like well if if i can make sure that everyone is on the same version that helps troubleshooting a lot mm -hmm. and then you get more buy-in from people if they don't have to constantly make sure that they're updated and have the, mm -hmm. the current thing uh and then yeah the other thing was making sure people install python so instead i just there's a python distribution packaged with the tunnel now mm -hmm. so you don't have to worry about that you just grab the folder and it all runs from there it auto detects your modem now too so mm -hmm. you plug in your usb modem it finds it starts up so it's really just mm -hmm. like what i wanted is you double click and then you're good to go and you're good to so go that's, that's kind of where you where we are right now is you, you double click it starts up the script checks for updates finds your modem and then it's sitting there listening for a call from your netlink modem yeah, just keep it simple. That's what I really like about the script. It's like, just click on it, auto updates, and it's, it's really simple. And I really think it's going to unlock the ability for people to get into this easier. And especially with us sort of helping people get more into the community for the online play, I think it's going to be very helpful in that regard. Yeah, I agree. Because I remember when um, when you talk about the modem, Joe's talking about that, that USB modem that folks had to get. And even I myself, like, I could not source a live modem. And by live modem, I mean uh, one that's been opened up and hacked to to basically draw line voltage off of the USB outlet on your on your PC. Yeah, for me, I just I was able to get one on eBay, and it was just a standard Zoom modem. I had to use the old VoIP adapter to provide line voltage to the phone line, and I did that for a while. But that was really crude and cobbled together <laughs> uh, solution. You know, definitely folks who are familiar with the DreamPi will know that. As Joe said before, you need line voltage. That telephone line needs to be a hot or live line, you know, in order for you to be able to send the, the ring or the dial tones or whatever. So um, this might be a good point in the conversation to describe, uh, you know, how the setup looks currently because oh right like you said like we're we're so deep in this we 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 assume we assume folks know everyone who's listening to this has this set up and they're just like oh yeah makes sense this is true um but for all the folks who haven't gotten into it this probably sounds like well screw this yeah well <laughs> like, the thing is that, is that if you if you look at it this way it's for the current setup all you have to do is get this little modem thing it's like a couple bucks uh you get the Saturn net link you plug it in with a cable you download the script and you run it or right. you set up in your Raspberry Pi and connect to your Saturn and you're good to go. It's not even all that, that sounds convoluted, honestly. Pat. A little bit, yeah. But I mean, it, yeah, but, it, it's like like three simple things. Yeah, but... we've had to pare things down. Yeah, you've got the Saturn, obviously. Yeah. Then you then you have the Saturn modem, so that's either the U.S. Right. U.S. Netlink or the Japanese modem, mm -hmm. and then you have a phone cord that's connected into 
a USB modem. Right. Which has been modified, ideally. Some way to provide voltage on that line. Right. Uh, similar to what it would be on a normal telephone line, mm-hmm. POTS line. Um, that USB modem is plugged into either a DreamPi or a PC. A computer, essentially. A computer. That's connected to the internet. Yep, that's connected to the internet. And then that computer is running a script that's going to take care of answering the phone line when your Saturn dials out. So when you hit challenge on the Japanese games or you hit dial on the U.S. Netlink games, it's going to dial over to that USB modem. USB modem is going to answer the call. And then any traffic on that line now is going to go into the script. And then what the script does is establishes a connection over the internet to another script running on someone else's PC where they have this same setup over there, does some handshaking to make sure that the connection is going to be okay, and then it just kind of opens the gates and lets data free slowly mm-hmm. over the internet between the two Saturns. And it's working pretty darn good across like the United States with with the caveat that it, it, if you are dialing somewhere really, really far away and it all depends on like what kind of Internet service they have. Are they on Wi-Fi? Are they wired? Those are the little variables that your mileage may vary. But for the most part, it's a pretty simple process now. And it's taken years and several hours and a lot of determination to get it to where it is right now. And there have been folks in the community who have really helped inspire the project to keep going forward. You know, have like Double Dime got involved and he decided to kind of organize these online tournaments in the Shiro Discord. That's really helped uh, boost interest and, and you know, make people want to buy into this whole ecosystem, I guess. And you know, we have a whole Netlink uh, league that's there, like a whole roster that if you want to play online, you can easily do that and play for funsies or play for, you know... Play for keepsies, I guess. We never really uh, addressed this, but I also find it interesting that you were able to turn what used to be dialing phone numbers. Now you're dialing IP addresses, correct? Mm-hmm. Was that pretty straightforward? Just, you know, dialing an IP address instead of a phone number? I mean, technically, it's still a string of digits separated by, I don't know, dots or asterisks or whatever. Yeah, because the, so the USB modem on the PC, when it's kind of in idle, what mm-hmm. it's doing is it's playing back a dial tone. Mm-hmm. And it's listening for any digits that are dialed. So, you know, when you have an old phone and you're hitting the thing, it's going, Um, the modem interprets those sounds and reports back what digit is dialed. Mm -hmm. So it's just monitoring what's dialed. Once it gets a valid sequence that it recognizes as an IP address, then it knows that you're trying to connect to someone. And it knows who you're trying to connect to because you dialed the IP address. Yeah, and then is it the hashtags or just like the breaking characters was like, oh, that's 192. Whatever the IP is, and it just interprets that into an IP address, and that's why when you see on the router, it's like, oh, connecting to this IP or this thing's calling you, it shows you the exact IP, even though you didn't ever type it in. It's just pretty much interpolating that. Yeah, so that that's how I had it set up because that's essentially how it worked on the VoIP adapters. Is mm-hmm. if you wanted to dial someone's IP, you literally dialed their IP. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just carried that over. To the script but you can dial anything so like if you had i mean this is already technically working for some dreamcast stuff that's in beta where you, you dial someone's player id queries a server says this id what's their ip address and then gets it back oh neat there's, there's different things you can do so i wonder if there's a way that we can have like an interface where it's just like click on a player's name and connect and it gets both their ips and it does that handshake and you just have to put it in like oh have a profile say M or P and then have one person dial or, or one person wait. 
and it'll determine what to do with that. It's like, okay, one and two are the codes. And like, okay, it's dialing that, but interpreted into sending through the IP. It's like, okay, one gets reported back, but it's like, okay, just dial the IP of the selected player that they're connecting to sort of thing, if that makes sense. Well, that kind of takes us looking forward. So Knight of Dragon, he was kind of inspired by this, and he's got, I think it's kind of on hold right now, but he, he put something together, kind of proof of concept of a replacement OS for this stuff. So no longer using the the Netlink OS or the Japanese X-Band OS. So it'd be custom. And then you can, at that point, do whatever right. you want to do. You can download player lists. You can have player IDs. You can even keep track of stats. And right. you know, the, the possibilities and, yeah. really expand when you have full control over the OS. I mean, it's worth mentioning that one of the reasons why we've really had to rely on kind of like a insulated online community here in our Discord is that ultimately you're playing people you trust because you're giving them your public IP address and you're dialing each other's IP address, which does kind of expose you, I guess, to a degree. Um, And we all know that going into this is that, okay, you're exchanging public IP addresses. So that's the great thing of having a, you know, an online community where everybody kind of knows each other and plays with each other regularly because technically if anybody did anything funny you know, you you'd kind of you'd blacklist yourself by doing that but yeah. uh and, and i mean to be fair though i think it also helps that everyone's like publicly known or like talk to you so that way it's like there's a lot more or less a-holes online that are using hacks or you know trying to troll or grief you right which i think is kind of nice well people who are playing are people who want to play people who are passionate about it exactly, exactly. you're gonna really want to play if you're getting into that. Yeah, this is true. I mean, and, and that that's another question. It's like, why the hell are we doing this? <laughs> you know, like, what, why are we trying to play? This console's like coming up on 30 years uh, next year. And this service, you know, Netlink, will have been around like 27 to 28 years old, you know? And uh, the fact that folks are still passionate about doing this, I think, speaks to like how ahead of its time the Saturn was, how ahead of its time Sega's consoles were. They they did from, from the Genesis on have this focus on online communication. And so it's like one of the cool things that the Saturn can do it kind of makes it still relevant and viable in terms of like ability to play online. You know, for me, that's one of the things that drew me to this project in the first place was that it was just resurrecting another one of the Saturn's capabilities, you know, that this, this machine was so forward thinking PlayStation can't do this. (laughs) You know, they didn't, they didn't make a modem for the PlayStation that I'm aware of, you know, like that, that's just crazy. That's part of the appeal to it is just, you know, for folks who are like, diehard Saturn fans they're really into the console they just want to kind of breathe this life back into the console and and take advantage of every ounce of uh, innovation that it offered you know we most of us have like VCD cards to benefit from that you know have messed around with uh, VCD movies or I think one of the biggest like thesis is I think you're for sure that you had are having these groups that you didn't have a lot of people to play with or mm-hmm. talk with it back yeah. in the day so now you can yeah. Even though everyone's all over the world, you can technically play Saturn with me or Absolutely. You know, Joe or with anybody else that you want to, mm-hmm. given they have a netlink, and you could finally experience Saturn and, you know, see how good people can get at this game that you dominate in, you know? And it really turns it up on your head, like, especially with Virtuon, where it's like, for me, it's like, I thought it was the hot stuff, and it's like, people like Gregory or Joe come along, and I just get, like, my butt caved in. 
Well, I mean, Joe's been playing all of these games way too much. <laughs> like, he has a reason to be a really good reason to be good at all this stuff. Because how long has he been, you know, playing these games to try to, to work on this script? You know, I'm playing virtual on against myself. Are against you kidding yourself. Me? <laughs> okay, got, but you're, I, you're used to the lag. I don't have two hands here, you know, fighting myself. It's something okay. when I'm sitting still. All right. Okay. <laughs> fine. Maybe that's 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 a poor excuse. But you did mention Knight of Dragon, and, and one of the other cool things that he's trying to do is lower the barrier of entry even further by developing like a serial cable, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's the other thing is we're still requiring people to have, you know, essentially this USB modem, which they're not that accessible, you know, because dial-up networking is just becoming more of, more of a thing of a past, unless you live in like a third world country or like a really rural area that, that almost still well, relies even on then, You still have like stuff like the Starlink and stuff like that. So that's sort of... Yeah. Sort of go- like the point is we're asking people to buy a modem cartridge, which they're not making those anymore. So those are kind of rapidly disappearing, you know, as collectors pick them up and stuff. And we're also asking people to get a USB modem. So there's still a certain barrier to entry. And then when you have like, when you consider all the people that have a Saturn, if they could just partake in this without those two things, like, and just plug in, because the Saturn has like a serial port on the back that is used by like the Tizen cable and like a, a MIDI adapter that was released in Japan only, um, a, a floppy disk drive, I think, uh, which was also released in Japan only. So, you know, Knight had this idea, well, why don't we utilize that to essentially create like a serial to USB, right? And then the USB would plug into the DreamPie. The DreamPie would be plugged into your router and your Saturn would just be directly plugged into the DreamPie. It's how that would work. Yeah, you'd, you'd have some new script, a, re, a rewrite right. of the, the script that would be compatible. And the games would probably have to be patched to communicate via the serial instead of the cart port. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, that's that's the hypothetical future. I don't know how viable it is, but, I mean, if anybody's qualified to work on something like that, it's probably night. Um, but I think it speaks to the fact that we're trying to find ways to make Saturn more accessible and make the online play more accessible. But you've definitely made it several degrees more accessible than the dark ages of uh, VoIP. Oh, yeah. And I like if, if you're playing someone who's reasonably close to you, it's really good. It's yeah, it's like it was back when it was running over a real phone line. I, I would say I've had I've had really good matches. There are still videos on YouTube to this day that demonstrate analog phone line play. And the matches that I've had with you and with Pat and stuff like that are exactly the same like in terms of and I've, I've had really close matches in sega rally like fiercely competitive matches in sega rally with like shadow mask and stuff and um n- there was never a hitch uh i have a bone to pick with sega rally netlink you have a what's that it has undefeatable slow car boost Huh. As, as in the, the second player always or you know, the lagging player always has boost so <laughs> i've i've got is that like a rubber banding thing yeah, so so you, like if you've ever played um, Daytona Online, it gives you the option to turn slow car boost on or off. So it keeps matches competitive. Where if someone is getting smoked by another person, like their car will suddenly be going a lot faster. I didn't even might... know what that was. I, when you said slow car boost, I thought it, I thought you were talking about like making the Lancia like the Delta is typically a slower car than the Celica. So I thought that that was no. Like, it it, re- it refers to the, the whoever's oh. Player. I had no idea. So, yeah, I 
That's funny. So I, I would really like to see a version patched not to have that. Cause I've, I've had some where like, like I'm ahead of someone by like literally like five seconds. And then at the finish line, they're like, and I'm like, where what? did you come from? I'm yeah. like, I was beating you by five seconds. It's like, not anymore. Not, okay. I had no idea. Okay. Well, so I've kind of seen you guys chat about that and I didn't exactly know what you were talking about that. I didn't realize that it had that built into the game. Is that true of both versions, the Japanese and the and the US version? Yeah, I mean it's because it doesn't give you the option like you don't know, I guess for sure, but I'm like 90% sure that 90% sure there and okay. undefeatable. And it's so happened a few too many times. <laughs> okay. And so the 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 fact that it's an option that can be turned on or off in CE is kind of like what tipped you off to that because you're like okay, this is something they were doing, but yeah, they just enforced it in rally. They just de- defaulted it because if you go into like like a two-player offline right. race, it does give you the option for on or off. So it's it's in the game to be able to toggle it on or off. Oh, okay. So, but when it comes to online, it's just it's just enabled. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that that'd be interesting. I mean, maybe Knight would have the ability to patch that out. Who knows? Uh, that would be cool. How do, how do how do we motivate him? I'll give him money. I don't right? know if he's motivated by money. Well, there you go. Put up a prize or something. I, I think that he's up. more motivated by a challenge. It, yeah, exactly. Like that's that's the way your minds work. It's like if there's a if there's a problem that needs to be solved, that's the bigger prize. <laughs> and the more nagging of an issue that it is, you know. I can't believe that he's been patching out Vakenroder. He said that it's just such an uphill battle, and yet he's still you know patching that game out. Uh, I don't even know how much personal interest he has in the title. I think it's more or less just the, the just uh Well, the translation was there, which I think was the appealing part of it. Is mm-hmm. like the translation didn't have to be made from scratch, right? But you still had to figure out how to put how it to into do the, it. Yeah. the game. Um, and that was the puzzle. Yeah. So that that was the challenge that he wanted to solve. And then yeah, he was saying as as he started playing the game, he's like, mm-hmm. the game's actually not that good. Oh really? I think it's pretty good. But okay, you know, it's not for everybody. I know his he, his cup of tea is you know Shining Force three, but it's got some good things going for it. Yeah, I think people are really interested in like the art style and the cyberpunk aesthetic. That's that's kind of what draws folks because. You don't have that many yeah, RPGs yeah, in that I haven't vein. gotten far enough into it to, yeah. to really judge. It's a late game too, isn't it? I think it's 1998. Yeah, absolutely. 98. And uh, I mean, how much time do you have? Because you're, you're working on all this phone stuff. I'm not working on the phone stuff anymore. I'm just, I guess I'm that's it true. Sit. You're letting it sit. It, it's I mean, at Sat- a place. Saturn's at, is at a good point. Saturn's it's, at a great point. It's not really worth me doing more to it at this point point. and for folks who don't know like we were doing a shiro show several months ago we were talking about the online stuff and then i was like pat look up how much one of these modems are you know how, how much are one of those japanese x-men modems because this is what we're asking folks to get and we find on yahoo auctions japan like this big box it was like new old stock let's buy it right now you know so like so we we were just like let's just do it you know uh we'll we'll ask for forgiveness later you know so we we bought this and we won the auction and it wasn't that much all told it was like 50 bucks per unit which is not bad and we did it again like a month later or uh, several weeks later we we ended up finding another one and we bought that one so the hope the goal is uh we're taking interest from our current patrons to see who's interested in joining the online community and our goal is to just pass those on to folks at the cost that we incurred plus shipping and night was 
awesome to uh modify like 30 usb modems i like i bought like a, a bulk lot of those usb modems sent them tonight and he modified every single one of them to draw line voltage off the board so we've got 30 of those 20 to go along with the japanese x-band modems packed in and then like 10 spare that hopefully we can provide to folks who don't have line voltage you know but again, I mean, that's still a small drop in the bucket when you consider, you know, the size of a lot of online communities. But the goal really is to get more people playing their Saturns online. And my hat is off to everyone who, in the meantime, has just gone out and bought whatever they needed to buy and gotten themselves online, you know, because it has it's not always easy. It's not always cheap. But our community consists of like some pretty diehard <laughs> individuals who are really excited about playing their Saturn online. Yeah, I appreciate how much of a proponent you've been of Saturn Online. You know, like, as I was working through this stuff, just seeing people excited about it, like, that that keeps me going, where it's like, okay, it's it's not just me. Like, mm -hmm. I, I care about it a lot, but it definitely helps to see other people interested. Uh, you know, I admit I probably bugged you a lot. <laughs> I'm like the excited dog that wants to go on a walk, you know? <laughs> there were a few times I got annoyed. <laughs> it's okay. I have that effect on people. I'm sure I'd bug Knight as well. But that's because to me, this is like magic. Like, I can't believe you guys are capable of doing this stuff. It's definitely above my pay grade. Sometimes I even have a hard time uh, explaining it accurately uh, without sounding like a complete idiot. But the fact is, you, you guys have made it happen. It wasn't magic. It was a lot of work and a lot of headaches and a lot of banging your head against the wall constantly <laughs> to try to figure out how to get it to where it is now. And so the unintended side effects, I guess, is that it also helped out the folks over on the Genesis and Super Nintendo, right? Because they've benefited from the tunnel as well. They're no longer using VoIP exclusively. Uh, they have to use VoIP to dial, but then it transfers over to the tunnel. They're actually able to play now. Right. I went ahead and picked up an X-Band for my Genesis and was able to log in and create a username. And there's X-Mail, you know, and was able to do one small match of nba jam but uh i haven't uh i've been kind of on hold on that because as you say like it, it i just recently picked up a, a dream pie with the live modem so i should be good now but it's just a matter of time you know yeah the super nintendo genesis one that that one for me was a just because it was a challenge and it mm -hmm. was there yeah and like truth be told um zidon was over on like their discord and he was like pointing out the tunnel and the the saturn stuff and it was like hey we should try to get this this working and he's just getting shot down like mm. kind of rudely in my opinion mm -hmm. i was like all right zayden let's test some stuff out again <laughs> okay you just had to do it and then once you would show them that it was like irrefutable right you're like well right it was it was like <laughs> Here it is. Here it is. Here it is working. You have to accept it now. Right. Oh my and god. I, I mean, they were they were fine after that. Like it, it was. They were like, I'm I'm surprised. I'm yeah. shocked that it works. But this is really cool. So I mean, they were they were fine after that. But was yeah, it almost it was, like a clicky kind of thing? Well, it was more like they had a bunch of them working on this for so long, and they tried so many things. And I think they just got to a point where like we've we've tried everything that can be tried and it just doesn't work so they're just they were just very skeptical of mm -hmm. anything else coming along and they're like right because they had already you know kind of tried something similar and they're like it, it didn't work yeah um 
So yeah, they were, they were just skeptical. I've seen that so many times. And it's funny because you do kind of like take certain things for granted. And when somebody new comes in, you're just like, oh gosh, we're going to watch you do everything we did. Right. But sometimes like a fresh perspective or somebody who like doesn't know all that stuff and is just kind of like looking at the problem from a different angle is what it takes to break new ground. And, and I've seen that so many times, you know, where folks think, no, it's not worth trying. We've already done everything. Let's save you the headache. But, you know, somebody comes in, they're naive enough or they're like, just don't tell me that it can't be done. I'm going to try my method, you know, and that ends up being, yeah. I mean, that's what got you In started. fairness, it, it, was, it was more difficult than I thought it was going to be, but <laughs> uh, it, it did eventually work out. But then you had all of the foundation that you'd built with the Saturn to work on. Like you wouldn't have just yeah, tackled like, that from zero, you know, like if you hadn't done everything with the Saturn to begin with, no, you probably wouldn't have succeeded no. with, with the Genesis stuff. Right. Yeah. It was, you know, the, the hang up with that is the Saturn. Like if you're tunneling stuff and trying to get them to talk to each other, they have a huge tolerance for like that initial connection mm -hmm. latency. And also you have complete control over both sides. So you have your one side sitting there waiting for a call essentially. And then you have to fake some stuff on the Genesis Super Nintendo side. So it was getting them to, to line up because it's literally like, I think it's like less than two seconds before they bail. Wow. So it's like you have to tightly control when the modems are answering and when they're in a state where they can start exchanging information. And then you even have to spoof a little bit of that mm -hmm. because there's still not enough time. Um, so you got to buy yourself a little time by spoofing the initial connection and then it eventually will go. Yeah, the readme for that is like a, a list of kind of acrobatics that you have to perform <laughs> in terms of like the dialing. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's outside of what's happening in the the tunnel but right yeah i mean so it's like you're you're absolutely right that it's a timing thing with that whereas it, we're so lucky with the saturn that it's like you said start the script and just you could leave it hanging there you know and and then you just dial when you're ready you know when it says that it's listening you could just dial at any time you know so yeah that's crazy i know that what was it you or knight were looking into the possibility of taking tizen link online and those games you said had even tighter tolerances because they're literally just expecting the console to be right there in in the room you know connected via a cable so for folks who don't know the tizen link is like uh it's like the link cable where you would have two copies of the game two consoles and you'd link them between the serial cables you play a game like uh daytona cce uh, or um What's another game that has Tizen Link uh, uh, that was released in the, in US. the U.S.? Did Virtual? Virtual on did not. I, I think it might have been just, just been Daytona in the U.S. Uh, Maybe. There were a handful of games uh, that took advantage of it in Japan. But the fact is that they're not tolerant of any kind of latency whatsoever because it's supposed to be just electrons firing immediately. Yeah, I, I'm sure Knight could speak to that a little better. I, I think he mentioned at one point, like Tyson wasn't really going to work for whatever reason. Because of how it uses the slave CPU or something like that. I think it has to do with the fact that it uses both CPUs. Yeah. He said that it could work with Homebrew that's written specifically to... Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but trying to make those games that are already written in stone, you know, trying to make them behave is out of the cards, uh, at least from what he looked at. But like the serial... I looked at the... I looked at the Dreamcast a little bit. I looked mm -hmm. at um, Virtual On on Dreamcast. So I, I was able to get that mm -hmm. working in a LAN tunnel. 
but any latency you introduced to it broke it. Broke it, so yeah. it would not work over the internet. But I mean, you know, like for the homebrew scene, and Knight demonstrated this with his own, like, it was kind of like a mock online game. It was just like yeah. proof of concept that like folks who want to write new Saturn games and build online support in could certainly take advantage of something like the the serial to USB cable yep. uh, or even Tyson over the internet. They just have to write that into their program so that it's accepting of, of a certain amount of latency for the connection and handshake. Yeah. So there's, you know, the, the libraries exist, mm -hmm. like, like on that developer disk, they have the head-to-head the -head mm -hmm. library, which is the, the direct dial. Mm -hmm. And then they do have a internet server-based library, which is never actually implemented, mm -hmm. um, but that's there too. And the documentation is there. So presumably if someone wanted to build Homebrew online on Saturn, they could. Mm -hmm. I mean... Knight did. So Knight like, did. You know, it it, it exactly. has happened. It's happened and he did that very specifically to prove that here you go. Like it works. What you do with it is is up to you, you know, creatively, but you can do it. I mean, technically we could have like a that game that recently released on Dreamcast where it's like an arena and you've got cars smacking the ball around. I forget what was that driving strikers or something? Driving strikers. You could technically do something like that. Or Slinga, you know, he makes a lot of, you know, multiplayer games. Technically you could bring those online in some capacity. Uh, I'm curious, what is the current status of or feasibility of real hardware to emulation netplay? Like um, folks using an emulator that's emulating Netlink modem. Is that possible? Yes. I I believe Knight also got that working as one of the one of the demos. Is it possible then? And I, I apologize for my ignorance on this, but like is it possible for folks to join our online community via emulation at this point? Not currently, no. Okay. But it's not completely impossible to get real hardware communicating with an emulated version of the hardware. You'd have to ask Knight. He was working on that. Okay. That's not um, something you've I ever mean, looked at. I, I did look at it a little bit. It, okay. I looked into how like Yaba say or right. however the, hey, I don't think anybody has any. Yaba, Yaba Sanchez. Yeah. Yeah, so that that has um, emulated Netlink in it, so you can connect instances of that together. So I looked into how that was talking to each other, and like I never took it more than just like initiating a connection, but it seemed like you'd be able to do it, and I think Knight has done it. Hmm. I don't know how well it'll work. Hmm. I mean, because you're you're talking about the stuff wanting to to stay in sync, and I don't right. know if that means you're if an emulator is accurate enough to be able to stay in sync or whatever. Right, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Again, that's that's beyond me. Mm -hmm. I imagine if the Saturn core for Mr. like it gets finalized to a degree where it's essentially operating like the true hardware, you know, they could write a core for the Netlink modem and essentially the idea would be that a bunch more people could join the community. But as it is right now, I would say it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> it's an investment of, you know, like 75 to 100 bucks and some time and, you know, a little bit of setup. But for folks who are interested, there's a bunch of folks here that are knowledgeable and willing to help you get set up. You know, if you're interested in joining the Shiro Discord, you can join us and there's a Saturn online channel where you can certainly ask any questions and I guarantee you there's somebody who will be able to uh, help you get your setup going and become a part of our online roster. But yeah, no, it's just exciting because uh, 
back in 2017 this was all very just you had to be digging in forums to find this stuff like that's what i was doing and i'm just surprised now that it's gotten to the point where it is where we have like 30 folks registered maybe more than that and they're from all over the world so yeah it's incredible yeah it's it's already better than i ever thought it would be so yeah Kind of like the Netlink League all over again. I don't know what we're calling it though now. Netband? <laughs> we like smashed Netlink and Xband together. That's that's what the yeah, tunnel is called, right? The Netband tunnel. That's what I called it for my contest entry last mm. year. I don't really have a name. I I don't care. I just call it the tunnel. Yeah. It works. That's all I care about. Are there any other projects that you are interested in working on that are like Sega related or retro gaming related? Um. Yeah, so on, on the Dreamcast side, the Dreamcast in Japan had a bunch of these games that worked similar to, to X-Band, where they dialed into a matchmaking server, mm-hmm. um, and then once you got matched with someone, it dropped off, and then they were direct dial to each other. Um, so it's very similar to the Saturn side stuff. So there were two people who got a working version of that matchmaking server going, mm-hmm. And they posted on Dreamcast Talk. They're like, we got this. Our, our main hurdle is we don't know how to make these things talk to each other once they drop off and try to dial each other. And so I reached out to them, and I was working on that for a while. And I got one of the games to to work. There's a, a tennis game. So like mm-hmm. proof of concept, the game works online. But I don't have super high hopes that that whole infrastructure, I think there's like 14 games that all use kind of the same thing mm-hmm. that they'll ever work well because like on genesis and super nintendo you know we've, we've talked how they they try to stay in sync mm-hmm. and if they lose sync they pause the game they try to resync and then the game resumes mm-hmm. these once they get out of sync they just stay out of sync mm-hmm. so it's kind of like a, a literal game breaking thing like the tennis game that that we got working like I've, I've played some good matches where you can get through and it's just fine and then other times it's like all of a sudden your opponent is just doing weird things running around serving at the wrong time and it just doesn't even know that it's desynced so that's yeah i don't know people have been asking like what's the status of this and it's sort of like i i don't know i don't know if it'll ever work yeah so the dreamcast a lot of folks are still rocking 56k dial-up modems, you know, the ones that came with their Dreamcast, you know, and they're able to connect via the the DreamPi. And for some cases, they're able to log into like a lobby, right? You know, like a multiplayer lobby. Is that like possible with the Saturn, with the uh, Netlink modems? Is it hypothetically possible to like write new software that like functions as an online lobby? where multiple players could dial into it. Yeah. You just Yeah, okay. It's a matter of somebody coming along and, and doing it then. Yeah, it would depend. I mean, there's multiple ways you could go about it. Like if you I think the the harder way would be if you actually wanted to build in like the TCP IP stack into the game and have it like directly contact the internet. Mhm. Uh the easier way would be if you had a script running on PC or DreamPie to act as a middleman. Mm. That would probably be the easier way to go about it. But yeah, it's it's possible. Okay, cool. I don't know if anything will ever come of that, but those are the kind of things I wonder about. Is uh, is it a possibility? Um, maybe that's something that somebody will try. You know, for the uh, annual game competition, um, they're always looking for not just games, not just uh, translation patches, but they're looking for tools and uh, interesting. You know, 
something like a lobby or a server would definitely qualify if it provided some kind of new functionality. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's really important that folks hear this story and they understand like what was involved in resurrecting Netlink on Saturn. Um, it's something that very important to me. Like back in the day when I was a Saturn fan, I wanted a Netlink, but I couldn't afford it. I barely had a job. And when I did get a job, it was like I, you know, had very limited income. So it wasn't like I could get a Netlink. And by the time I could afford it, nobody was really <laughs> using it anyway. So being able to pick up a Netlink later and actually have it work has just been amazing. Honestly, just speaking personally, I know others will agree with me. So my hat's off to you. Thank you very much, Joe, for making this a reality Thanks, uh, for, for a bunch of nerds who are, you know, huge Saturn fans. And so it's been amazing. I really, really appreciate you being a part of this community. And I guess I had some hand of pulling you into this Discord server and forcing you. Yeah, I, I really appreciate the community that you've helped foster and, Thank and you. build. I um, appreciate it's, that. It's really solid. You were like, aside from me, Kay, and Pat... You were the first member to join our Discord because you had to join Discord to be able to record that first podcast with us. Yep. And at that point, you were like, what's Discord? What, what are they forcing me to download? <laughs> uh, we've come full circle, and now Joe's like one of the most active members <laughs> in this server. But yeah, so to all the folks out there listening... Um, Seek it out, you know, you, you can get your Saturn quote-unquote online. You can dial up other people and play them directly. There's a bunch of games, uh, 14 to be exact, that support it. That's nothing to sneeze at. There's different play genres. There's puzzle games. There's racing games, fighting games. Uh, the lineup uh, is solid. You know, strategy, uh, what would you call that? Tactics or strategy? Uh, Shadows of the Tusk, it's, it's interesting. Strategy. strategy. Yeah, so I mean, there's a good uh, mashup of genres available, and there's a vibrant community here. It's small, but um, everyone knows each other. It's like Cheers, <laughs> you know, like we all, you know, give each other a hard time. Uh, there's a there's a lot of folks that are like really skilled at, at certain games, you know, and they just own at those games. But uh, for the most part, you're gonna find some good competition, and you're gonna find a, a good uh, tight knit family of. Uh, enthusiasts who are really interested in this stuff so please feel free to seek out the shiro discord and ask questions if you have any difficulties we'd be more than happy to help you on your journey of getting your saturn online and um yeah there's a lot of people on there that are pretty knowledgeable now i know um it doesn't have to be just me anymore which is nice and you don't have to drive to your friend's house and do the swap trick and then drive back to your house <laughs> no in hindsight, I should have given him the original disc because I know how to do the oh swap Oh my god, you're you know, right. Whatever. Yeah, you should have given him the original disc. Isn't that funny when you, you don't think of like the most obvious things, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, um, Pat had to drop off, but this has been Saturn Dave and Sega RPG fan reminding you that you must play Sega Saturn. Online. Online. You must play your Sega Saturn online. And until next time, we'll catch you later. Peace.
Sur l'autre tronche